For the last four weeks specifically, we have been encouraging you to sign up for what we call Synergy Groups, which is an opportunity for you to join a group of people based on stage of life or common interest or just uh, something that you're intrigued by so that we can experience life together. We think that life change happens best in the context of relationships. And what I find interesting is that there are still some of you who have not joined a Synergy Group, and it blows my mind. And so I want to encourage you specifically today to do that. And so I'm going to give it everything I got. So here's uh, what I want to share with you today. When we live life alone, we experience disadvantages that can be prevented by simply living in context of relationships with others. If you're like me and you hear the word small group in the context of church, I don't know what your church history is or background is. Maybe you grew up in a church that had Sunday school and you think of small groups as a Sunday school type of environment where you're going to get together with a group of people and someone's going to teach you a lesson and it just seems like another thing to do each week and, and you're like, I'm good. I don't really need that right now. Um, I understand that. Um, and I want you to know that we do not create Sunday school environments, not that we're opposed to them, but we encourage people to enter into relationship with one another because the context of that relationship is unfathomable in the fulfillment it can bring to our lives. I do remember though, the first time that I ever participated in a small group. I was a freshman in college. Actually, I was a sophomore in college. And I was invited to a large gathering of people. And we were divided based on some kind of system they had into groups of people. And literally, we sat in circles with a ball of yarn. And someone started the process. And they held one end of the ball of yarn. And they would throw it to someone across the room. And they were supposed to say something Uh, nice to them or encouraging to them. I don't even remember what the task was. And by the time it was over, we had weaved an incredible web that would bind us together over that semester. And I never went back because that was just super cheesy to me. And I thought, these people are out of their minds. And maybe you think that that's what a synergy group is or small groups in our context. And I want you to know as well that that's not exactly what we're going for here. I want to share a scripture with you, a story from the Bible that if you have history with the church, you've probably heard before, Uh, a story that's common, uh, that's preached about a lot, uh, but something that I think is extremely important to us to see an angle of this story that maybe you haven't noticed before, maybe you haven't put two and two together in this situation. Uh, Before I read the scripture to you, I want to Uh, share a little background information with you. Uh, This story is about a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, but before he was one of Jesus' disciples, which just let me pause there and say Jesus' disciples were a group of men, 12 in fact, that he invited to do life with him. Um, I feel like if Jesus needed a small group, a synergy group, uh, then I'm not exempt because I probably need what Jesus needed. But That's secondary to what I'm saying. Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus found him as a fisherman and called him to leave a life of fishing to follow him. He became became one of Christ's 12 closest friends on this earth. He walked with Jesus. He saw Jesus 
teach crowds. And he was amazed along with the crowds at the authority by which he taught with. He saw Jesus perform miracles. I mean, it would have been incredible to have been in Peter's shoes. But Peter was a bit of a, um, let's just say that he would act before he thought. And so he would do things before he thought about them. And he's the type of person that would have said, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that in hindsight, but oh, well, it's done. Now, I love people like Peter because they're doers. They're not so concerned with like thinking things through and making sure everything's perfect before they do something. They just go out and do something. And I think that the world benefits by people who are willing to do things. And so I admire that about Peter. But Peter sometimes got himself into trouble because of that. On one occasion, Jesus had one final dinner with his 12 disciples. And in this dinner... Jesus essentially said that someone at this table is going to deny me. And Peter started saying, hey, I am never going to deny you. Listen, I'm one of your closest allies. I am one of your deepest friends. I will always be there for you. You ever had people that, that said those words and then when rubber met the road, they weren't there for you? This was Peter. He said those words. He meant those words, I'm sure. He was passionate about his love for Jesus and his commitment to follow him. But as the story would unfold, Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And Peter says, never. I will die before I deny you. That's how committed he was to Jesus. And then... Jesus took his disciples out to pray. And though they were falling asleep while he prayed, eventually Judas showed up, one of his 12 disciples, and betrayed Jesus with a kiss, bringing Roman centurions and guards to arrest Jesus falsely for things that he had not done. And Peter, as passionate as he was about following Christ and his commitment and being a doer before a thinker, pulls a sword out and chops off one of the guard's ear. He's either a really bad aim or he's a really good aim. I don't know what he was going for there, but he was willing to fight for Jesus. Love that about Peter. Love that he's a doer. Love that his commitment and passion showed through in his life. But Jesus stops him and said, hey, we, there's no need to fight here. He actually picks the ear up and heals the man, puts his ear back on. And he explains to Peter, listen, this is supposed to happen. And these guards, these centurions, arrest Jesus and they lead him away. And Jesus' 12 closest followers, this band of brothers, this community of believers who for three years had been forming relationships, when they needed each other the most, they scattered and went in different directions. I find that it's always dangerous when you separate yourself from the people you need most in life. And we have a tendency to do that because when we go through difficult situations, sometimes from fear, we just want to withdraw and not deal with things and have to talk about them. Sometimes from frustration, we don't want to have to explain ourselves and deal with conversations that don't need to be happening. Whatever the reason, Peter decided to withdraw from this group of people, when he needed them the most, when his world was turned upside down, when the, 
when the Savior of the world, who he thought was the ruler of the Roman world to be, who he would fight for the death for, was arrested, Peter withdrew. Not from bad intentions, not because he had given up on Jesus, but because he simply made a decision to separate himself from the people that he needed most. So many times in the church world, we need each other. Why do we need each other? Because we're not perfect. And because this world's not perfect. And because we go through difficult situations and we go through stressful events and we go through chaotic world events. And when we need each other the most, we're not there for each other. And I have been part of a group that blames the church for the church not being there for one another. But the truth is, the truth is, when it comes to your life and when it comes to my life, we have a decision to make when it comes to being in community with people. The idea of a community group, a small group, a close set of allies that we live life with isn't foreign to any of us. Maybe in church context, yes, but we all live life in the context of relationships. You work with a group of people that perhaps you spend more time with than your own family. And I've never met someone that, that went to their boss and just said, hey, you know, I'm really not kind of a people person and I don't really do the whole small group thing. Can I just get an office in the corner and if you ever need me, just send me an email. I don't want to talk to anyone. Like, that doesn't happen in the workplace. Students... In school, you have classes with the same people and the same teachers. You live life with a group of people. And you don't get to go to your teacher and say, hey, I don't really do the small group thing. I don't really like the whole relationships with one another. It's just not my cup of tea. And so I need my own space, and I'll just kind of figure things out on my own. If you need me, give me a call. It doesn't work. We live life with one another. You've got a family that you live life with on a regular basis. You've got a set of friends that you live life with on a regular basis. But when it comes to our faith, the thing that we need the most encouragement in, we have a tendency to withdraw and live life alone. And this is what we're going to find that Peter did in this heated moment. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 26, verses 57 and 58. And Matthew writes... Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. They arrested Jesus. They took him to put him on trial. The teachers, the, the religious leaders of the day had all gathered, and Jesus was there in the midst of them. And listen to where Peter was, verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance. You ever find yourself in that boat? following from a distance. I'm close enough to, to Jesus. I'm close enough to the things of God that I can keep an eye on what's going and I can stay informed, but I'm not really committed to the moment because the moment might get messy and the moment might not be comfortable and the moment might require some sacrifice or some hardship and we don't like that. So we follow Jesus from a distance, but it's dangerous when we follow Jesus from a distance because listen to what happened to Peter. He followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. With the very people who took Jesus away, Peter found himself in their company because he followed Jesus at a distance. 
And when we follow Jesus at a distance and we withdraw from the people that we need most and the fellowship and the community that we need most, we find ourselves entering into other relationships that aren't as beneficial. We are not exempt from relationships. We don't live an isolated life in a vacuum. There are people in our lives. And we get to be intentional about who we develop relationships with. And so Peter is at a distance. He finds himself in the company of the guards. And as the story would go, people began to recognize Peter and say, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he began to say, No. No, you're thinking of someone else. That's not me. Weren't you with him when they arrested him? No. That wasn't me. And a young lady accused him of being a follower of Jesus, and he curses and says, I do not know the man that only a few hours later I was ready to fight for. How does that happen? How do you get to a place in life where the commitment that you have slips through your fingers and you find yourself in company of people that could care less about what you care about? happens easily because we follow Jesus from a distance. So they arrested Jesus, so they falsely accused him, so they sentenced him to crucifixion, a death on a cross. And Peter watched from a distance, and when Jesus was buried, when he was put into the empty, into the tomb, Peter made a decision. He went back to those disciples and he says, you know what, I'm going fishing. And he wasn't saying like, I'm so stressed, I just need some time out on the lake. He wasn't saying like, I love to fish and it just energizes me. He was saying, I'm returning to my former way of life. The life that I had before I started following Jesus How does a man who's willing to fight for Jesus, who makes statements like, I'll die for you, find himself in a former way of life? It happens because he followed at a distance. And he withdrew from the group of people that he needed most in a difficult season. You ever gone through a difficult season and you just want to withdraw to yourself and you feel like you can bear the burden yourself and you can get through this on your own and you're strong enough and you're good enough and you have what it takes and you find yourself before it's too long in a situation that you would have never chosen to be in because you withdraw and you resist the relationships that you need most and you find yourself in relationships that you need least. And so Peter is out fishing and Jesus and the grace that he has for us and the mercy and the love that he has from us doesn't show up after he is now risen from the grave, after he's resurrected, resurrected. He doesn't appear to Peter and say, I'm so disappointed in you. You said you would die for me and you denied me three times. You remember when that rooster crowed and I told you that would happen and the grief that you felt You can't follow me anymore. This is where you belong. He doesn't say that. He calls him out of that life of fishing again and says, feed my sheep if you love me. Feed my lambs if you love me. Carry on the mission that we started. 
Get reconnected with the people you need to be connected with. And then Jesus says his goodbyes, and on his final day on earth, he ascends into heaven, and the disciples see him ascend. And Peter now, because he's reconnected with people, doesn't go back fishing. In fact, we find him in Acts chapter number 2. On the day of Pentecost, it's a Jewish festival, 50 days after Passover. We find him in an upper room with 120 like-minded people, all together with a common purpose, with a common goal of waiting on a promise that Jesus said would come to them, which was the Holy Spirit. And in the context of those relationships, as they're waiting together, as they're like-minded The Holy Spirit descended on them. They began to speak in other languages, so much so that in this festival where people would have come from all over that region, speaking different languages, they began to hear these disciples, these followers of Jesus, speaking the goodness of God in their own languages. And they were confused. They were astounded. They asked, how can this be? They must be drunk. And I want you to listen To a couple of verses, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, just to repoint out, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. It's possible to be in one place and not be together. It's possible to be together and not in one place, but they were together and in one place. And listen to what verse 14 says. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. A man who denied Jesus because he was in the company of the people who were opposing his Savior. Because he withdrew from a group of people that he needed the most. Now reconnected with that group of people for a common goal and purpose. Stands up with them. It begins to boldly proclaim, not I don't know him, but this is what's happening. This is the goodness of Jesus. This is what Christ has done for you. And on that day, 3,000 people were added to the church. Do you see the difference that community brings in our lives? Do you see the importance of being connected with other like-minded believers? True, the Holy Spirit empowered him and gave him boldness and helped him proclaim the gospel, but it was in the context of relationships that that occurred, that he received something that he needed to be all that Jesus called him to be. I want that for myself. I want to be positioned to receive from God what I need to be on mission in this world and live a life of fulfillment. The difference in Peter's actions stemmed from a different approach to relationships here on this earth. On one hand, He resisted those relationships that he needed most, and on the other, he embraced them. And I'm here today, not because I want something from you, but because I want something for you. I want you to experience the benefit of relationships that can change your life. And it's not some kooky group of people who throw yarn around in a circle and make up statements to encourage one another, but it's people who are real, and are committed to one another, and are willing to be vulnerable in each other. And in the event that maybe it's still not clear what I'm talking about, I want to give you an illustration. And I want to show you, based on some of my 
childhood knowledge that I have not been able to escape how relationships are vital in our life. And to do that, I need one volunteer. And I know that when someone asks for a volunteer in a crowd, you feel like something bad's going to happen to you. But I promise it's not. Do I have a volunteer that is willing to help me? Come on up. Can we give, is that Washina? Come on up, Washina. Come on around here up these steps. Okay, now, as Washina is joining me here on the stage, you can stand right here. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being willing to uh, have ice cold water dumped on your head. Just kidding, that's not going to happen. <laughs> do you remember, I don't remember if it was elementary school, middle school, probably elementary school. Do you remember the greater than and less than signs? Everybody remember that? Um, I searched for like a proper word, a proper term for those, and all I could find was greater than and less than symbol. Um, so we're going to go with that, but, but to relive some of my childhood days, we're going to call it the alligator. Anybody ever remember the alligator mouth, right? Greater than, less than. Okay. Here's what I need you to do, Washina. I need you to face this way. I need you to throw up your alligator mouth, right? Okay. So that's actually less than for you guys, isn't it? So let's spin around the other way. I'm thinking backwards up here. Okay. See this? Greater than. Okay. Greater than illustrates that two things are not equal, that there is some integer or force that's greater than something that is not, okay? Now, I want to illustrate for you some relationships that we endure life through that, that are not healthy. This is what I call the greater than alone approach to relationships. Washina by herself is saying, I have strengths, there are things in front of me that I'm great at. There are things in front of me that, um, that I'm proud of. But she's also saying there are things behind me that I'm not so proud of. And the danger with living life with a greater than alone approach is that during good times, you're on top of the world. But during bad times, you're alone. No one's got your back. No one's here to encourage, strengthen, pick you up when you fall down. And so this type of life is frustrating. And we have a tendency to say, well, it's the church's fault that I'm in this situation. Or it's God's fault that I'm in this situation. But this is a person who intentionally says, I can make this on my own. I got this. All right, you can close your alligator mouth. Perfect. You're so good. That was not a Florida gator chop, by the way. <laughs> we pray for those of you who may love the gators. I need an additional volunteer. Not all at once. Come on, Brandon. Here we go. It's about to get real. Love it. Washina, if you'll come join me on this side. Brandon will join me on this side. So she illustrated the greater than alone approach to relationships. Now, I want to show for you the greater than front. Okay? Would you please face each other? Throw up your gator mouth. Okay. They are each doing what? They are each projecting their strengths on one another. And listen, this is the danger that we have in life, especially in the church world, that we always put our good foot forward. We always show our strengths to others, but we always hide and keep our weaknesses from one another. And we never want to be vulnerable enough to let people know that we struggle with things, that we have hardships, that there are things behind us that we need help with. And so we're constantly alligator-mouthing people, like, nope, good foot forward, here's my strengths, right? 
You've done that maybe? I don't know. Maybe you know someone that's done that? Close them up. Go dogs. Here's one that's very dangerous. The greater than drainer. Both of you face this way. Throw up your alligator mouse. This is a relationship that's really toxic. Because what we find is someone whose strengths don't benefit someone else, but whose weaknesses land on someone else. And we find someone else who constantly feels the need to encourage, to strengthen, to pick up, to help out. And let's just be honest, this type of relationship is extremely draining because we feel like the people in our life constantly need something from us, but we never get anything from them. Hopefully your marriage isn't this way, but the relationships that we have are toxic if this is our approach to them. And the person that's got your back constantly feels like, oh, I just wish somebody would get my back and help me out, get their back, because this is killing me. Close them up. Go dogs. Next, we've got the greater than rejector. Face away from each other. Throw up your alligator mouths. So many times, we find from the busyness of life, from what we're involved in, that we simply don't make the effort to give any strengths to the people in our life. And we reject a relationship, allowing them to get maybe some secondhand relationship from us. Maybe they get our worst at best, and we save our best for others or for ourselves. If you know someone that's like this, they're, they're hard to get to know. They're indifferent when it comes to a relationship. And it doesn't matter how much you try to alligator mouth them, they're constantly keeping you on the outside. Close them up. Go dogs. So if those are bad approaches to relationships, what should our approach be? This is going to be a little more difficult. Okay, are you with me? It's going to require a little more effort and coordinating. But I, I believe in you. I think you can do this. Okay? Now, throw up your alligator mouth facing Washina. All right, now, here's what I need from you. I need you to get on a knee right here. And I need you to throw up your alligator mouth with your top arm in line with his bottom arm. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Now, the bottom arm out. Okay. Excuse me. That wasn't real. Sorry. Bad joke. Do you recognize this? Let's put it up on the screen. That's our logo. And if you still don't get it, let me make it clear for you. We are greater together. And it takes more effort and coordination, more energy to figure out something that connects us. But what we see in a relationship that's together is that Brandon's strengths are there for Washina's weaknesses, and Washina's strengths are there for Brandon's weaknesses, and together they are greater than. Do you see that? No matter what the number is, they got it covered. 55, 42, greater than. 1,000, 16, greater than. Together, they're greater than. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. 
High fives. <laughs> Go dogs. From the very beginning of our church, our dream was never to gather a large mass of people, though we hope that happens and we pray that happens. But it was to take that group of people and to get them connected with one another. Because the word synergy itself means that we accomplish more when we work together. That together is greater than the sum of our separateness. And we thought if we could get a group of people to commit to living in relationships with one another, this will be a church where lives will change. This will be a church where people care for one another. This will be a church where people know one another. And this will be a church that will reflect God's plan from the very beginning for this thing on earth that he calls his bride, the church. And I'm simply asking you to take a risk, to make the step, to step out of your comfort zone if you need to, to give this thing called synergy groups a chance. If the extent of your church experience here at Synergy or any other church in the world is Sunday mornings, you will always be disappointed with the church. But when we fail to invest ourselves in the lives of others, we can expect nothing less than to be disappointed with our experience. And we can throw excuses at the wind. We're all busy. We all have competing interests. We all have excuses that would keep us from investing in the people that we need most. But you're already in groups in life. I'm simply asking you to make a group with your church, like-minded friends, a priority. A priority. Now, when I think about groups now, I have a different experience because since we started this church, I've had a group of people in my life that have become friends that I care about, that care about me. In fact, this past weekend, as we had the Sunday off to honor our volunteers, my wife and I went to Charleston to visit her parents. There were a few couples from our synergy group that went along with us. And we all have young kids, and it was crazy. But we had fun. We went to the beach. We went downtown. We hung out at the house. We ate together. We laughed together. It wasn't about coordinating on the way up there with phone calls to make sure we were like deciphering secret codes in scripture and making it so spiritual that we didn't enjoy it. It was just about doing life together. It was just about enjoying one another. And in that process, we grow because we need one another, and it just works. We offer semesters of synergy groups here because it is possible for you to maybe get into a group that is not a perfect fit for you or your family. And we never want you to feel trapped in relationships with people that uh, you prefer not to be in relationship with. So at the end of a 10 to 12 week semester, we give you the freedom to choose a different group. That's the great thing about our approach. But our hope is that you'll find a group that works for you. And you'll live life with them. 
And like the group that I'm a part of, you'll continue semester after semester investing in one another. Is it difficult? I'll be honest with you, yes, at times. At times on a Wednesday night when our group is supposed to meet, it's easy for me to say, it's been a long day and I'm tired. Why don't we just call and say we're going to skip this week? That's difficult. It's hard. It takes more effort to make it a priority. But for 10 or 12 weeks a semester, we've chosen to do that. And our family is better for it. And I personally am better for it. And for those of you who just may say, I don't really need a group right now. I'm good. I'm in a good place in life. I'm so excited that you're in that good place in life. But perhaps God needs you to be strong for someone who may be going through a difficult season. So even if you don't do it for yourself, even if you feel like it's a waste of your time and you don't need it, perhaps you'll consider that maybe someone needs your relationship. And maybe you can offer something to them that strengthens them, that builds them up, that helps them through difficult times, and you can belong together. You can care for one another, and you can strengthen one another. It's not always about what we need, but it's about what we can give. And that's the beauty of synergy groups, that we get to receive while we give. And I pray that you'll join a group. And one last thing, for those of you who are still on the fence, let me read one last scripture for you. This is Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, starting in verse number 9. It's written by a man named Solomon, who was a former king of Israel, who was considered the wisest man on earth. And he writes these words, Two are better than one, because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for who you are and for what you do for us. Thank you for an opportunity to invest in relationships that will build us up and encourage us and strengthen us, but also for relationships that we can invest in and we can strengthen others and build them up. Thank you for the community that you created in the body of Christ that allows us to live life together and enjoy the benefits that come with it. In Jesus' name, amen.